it's time to go beyond the locker room talk and listen in with me, GB, producer Jay, former patients and current friends of our own Cornell-trained, world-renowned urologist and surgeon, Dr. Michael Hyman. Let's talk about the issues on men's minds where no topic's out of bounds on another sit-down with two men and a doc. Welcome to the show, my three dear bearded friends. It looks like none of us have shaved recently. What's the point? <laughs> JT, how are you? I'm good. Unshaven and happy. And very tan, I might add. Yeah, it's just, you know, too much free time. That's what that amounts to, <laughs> I think. In the L.A. sun. Yeah, it's a, finally we're getting some of that. There's, but, by the way, two of us. We're I was going to say. We're who, two friends, but that's okay. It's, who, it's, <laughs> it's, you could argue it's just semantics. I thought Elijah was still here. <laughs> how are you, Doc? I am well. I'm doing well. You know, things are things are rolling along in life, I suppose. Just and that, that beard is very distinguished. Thank you. Though. Thank you. It's it's, you know, something the wife won't let me get rid of. So, you know, happy <laughs> yeah. wife is a happy life. We've we've That's discussed the, the wives and, and our beards. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I uh, I was thinking of you, Doc, because I'm stumbling. I traveled through my cable system and I discovered a show that uh, maybe some of our listeners have seen. I, I was I looked at it to see how long it was on. It was actually the first episode. So they just started airing it. And I think it's because of us. <laughs> you I'm think just, they stole our IP? I absolutely do. Let's let's hear it. And I got to say, I don't even like the name. Um, it's called Dr. Down Below. And oh, this, yeah, that is kind of goofy. This follows in the uh, the esteemed <laughs> um, submarine. It, it it follows along the tracks of their uh, their other award winning shows, Doctor Pimple Popper, and um, there's one about feet that I saw mm. five minutes of that revolted me. Um, but anyway, this but, is but you watched it I, for briefly. I don't I don't like the slicing and the pus and the oozing, and some people love that. My wife loves that yeah, stuff. A lot of people do. She likes the plastic surgery. Oh stuff. yeah, I can't. Right, the the um, that was probably the one of the first ones. Was it botched or something? Yeah, that's it. That's it. Mm. Um, anyway, this is a female a urologist who um, is you know showing her cases, and I just I have to ask you about. So there was three of them. Um, I am looking at the summary, but one of them was interesting to me. I was wondering if you ever ran into this. This was one of the cases which I didn't see, but a man struggles with an extra pee hole left by a Prince Albert piercing. So Prince Albert, yeah. ed- educate me on that, first of all. I'm assuming it's some sort of ring. Yeah, there's different kinds of, uh, they're like almost like, you know, earrings, if you will, that guys will put into their penis. And depending on how they put them in and where they put them in, they have different, I don't know them all. And this is not something you learn in, in residency or medical school. But, you know, if you were working in like a tattoo you know, parlor, you would, you would know what these are. But I know that a Prince Albert is one where the ring goes in through the urethromiatus, the so-called pee hole, and then it pierces through the, the urethra and out through the skin. So you basically have this ring that's going you know, through the opening of the penis, out through the skin, and, and the guy just wears that. And why, I guess why, why some, is it a Prince Albert? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if that... They didn't tell you when you had yours? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the entomology of that. Uh, Is it etymology? I don't know the etymology. Entomology. 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 I mean, I would think whoever's whoever's installing these things... Because entomology, isn't that the study of insects? Yeah. I think it's etymology. Don't listen to me. All right. Anyway. Whoever's putting these in, wouldn't that be their only job is not to go through? Okay, so no. what, What... 
no. So what happens is they put this in, like I just described, and that is how it works. And theoretically, if you wanted to remove it, that pierce that went through the urethral, you know, through the tube, if you will, and through the skin would close. But some it people... It would scar up, you mean? Right. But it is, you are at significant risk for it not closing. So now when you urinate... You, a lot of the urine will come through that extra hole now through the side, mm-hmm. if you will. It's like a and flute. Out the, through yeah. The, yeah, it's like a flute. You literally would have to put your finger over it every time you pee oh so that God. your urine would come out straight. And then if that's not happening and that opening remains, then you have to do like a reconstruction. So and what do you do? Just put it's, stitches it's in It's not that simple because if you just put stitches in it, it will invariably break down and open back up again. So there's a whole technique where you have to um, remember that a lot of these... Is, is there like a warning sign on the wall at the places where you go to get this Prince Albert ring? I would imagine there is a disclaimer that says, please keep, you know, that, you know, keep in, not please, but <laughs> that that you are at risk for developing what technically would call a urethrocutaneous fistula, which is a connection between the urethra and the skin, urethrocutaneous fistula. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you created a new off-ramp. That, yeah. that you didn't want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so the, the one there are a lot of techniques for closing these. One Holy such cow. technique would be to, um, you know, remember we've talked about, I think, the fact that a lot of structures in um, whether it's the urinary tract or the gastrointestinal tract, you have a mucosal lining. So think of the inside of your mouth or the inside of the vagina. You've got a you've got a mucosal lining. So it's basically that glistening stuff inside your mouth. But that's only like a, you know, tiny, tiny few cell. This is a, really uncomfortable. This one, and yeah. I and I just <laughs> yeah. don't know why. Yeah. Do you know what show Titan. you're on? You you say that every week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you did. It's true. <laughs> Um, and then behind that layer, the mucosal layer, like the one inside, the, the cheek is the best example, is, is you know, what we call connective tissue. Some of it has muscle, so there's muscle wait, in wait, your wait, cheek. Wait, wait, hold on. Can, can we get really, let's get down to the bottom. What is the purpose of a Prince Albert? Does, that does I don't it heighten know. That the I don't partner's know. Yeah, you can satisfaction? Look that. I'll, I'll let you and the listeners look but, that up yeah. on the or, line. Or is it to you can jewelry, that. to adorn? What exactly yeah. is the yeah. purpose? Don't know. You can, don't know. All right, I'm going to look this up. Okay. Google that later. You can report back. No, don't, so, don't do it now. <laughs> don't do it now, for God's sake. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, so think of your cheek, and it's the same thing. So so imagine it might be easier for you to think of it as in the cheek if you had a hole between the inner cheek, okay, yeah. and the surface of the skin. What you would want to do is first you would make you would basically want to separate the lining, okay, the inner lining, that urethral lining. You'd want to surgically separate it from the muscle and the skin. Mm-hmm. You want to make that a separate. Um, thing so you want to you want to make a dissection between the inner part of your cheek and that yeah, inner gotcha. lining like a, when so I that butter so the, the inside of my turkey right so they're Wait, separate I, I have something to report I, back I, I, I went on the uh, open AI we and begged I, you and, and I said purpose of a Prince Albert ring and it says something went wrong it didn't give me an answer all right there you go it doesn't know so yet this, it's this open learn. chat you GPT. can you can you can, tra- you can teach it. So anyways, you close that, that opening separately, the one in the mucosa, 
and then you would do a separate layer of sutures for the skin and even a separate layer for the inner muscle layer. Mm -hmm. You would do separate layers. Layers of closure is sort of a surgical principle, especially when it comes to these, these fistulas. Sometimes they'll even talk about making what are called flaps of tissue. So you'll bring in like fresh tissue from mm -hmm. somewhere else, either a graft or from, from another part of the body, or you can what's called create sort of like a pedicle uh, um, flap, which means a flap of tissue that's still connected to its blood supply that you can interpose or interposition in that fistula as a barrier. So then you close the mucosal side with stitches, close the outer side with stitches, and have some kind of um, pedicleized, which means vascularized, um, uh, like almost like a patch that you can stick in between the two. And that really helps prevent the hole from reforming because that's the biggest challenge. Yeah, no, that makes the sense. whole concept of those kinds of holes are it, it's, it's a problem. It's a surgical problem that happens all over the place. So, for example, you can end up with like a, uh, a fistula between the bowel and the bladder. And yeah, I think we've, we've even talked, talked about, about that, yeah, that right? Like septic, right? Right. And you can get infections from that. So that's basically the story. Have you ever had to uh, perform? I have had to perform. I, I've done, like, for example, a common type of fistula in women is, um, is a type of fistula that forms between the urethra, which is a very short one-inch tubular structure that starts in the vagina and goes into the bladder, right? And that one can form a little hole. Mm. Um, and there are lots of reasons for that. And I've had to close one of those. And that it's challenging. It's really a challenging type of procedure. And a lot of times people will literally just fellowship train in doing that kind of reconstruction. Wow. Well, for anyone that wants to see how uh, Dr. Down Below took care of that, I'm sure you can <laughs> find it on demand. That's right. That's right. Um, we, have, we do have an interesting topic that we're going to get into um, very shortly. But before we do that, I wanted to test ChatGPT with the doc. Right on. This is, uh, you know, it's what everyone's talking about, and there's, we won't get into all the things you can do with it, but there's a lot. So I asked the doc ahead of the show to tell me some specific um, symptoms and test results that would result in something that, you know, that he would know what it is if he was presented that. And I threw that out to ChatGPT, and I said, as an expert urologist, tell me the reasons why. And then I, I laid out this, these symptoms, uh, left flank plane, pain, uh, an ultrasound that revealed left hydronephrosis, a bunch of other things we won't get into. So what it came back with was, um, based on the symptoms you described, it's likely that the 25-year-old patient is experiencing left flank pain due to a condition called uh, hydronephrosis, which was in the, in the description to begin with. It's a swelling of the kidney due to a buildup of urine in the kidney, usually caused by an obstruction of the urinary tract. Um, and then it goes on and says, in this case... Um, the IV contrast revealed normal caliber of the left ureter is puzzling, which I thought was funny that ChatGPT found it puzzling. Um, it would typically suggest that there is no obstruction. Further evaluation may be needed to determine the exact cause. Um, other possible causes could be a UPJ, mm -hmm. which is, you want to pronounce this for me? Ureteropelvic junction obstruction. That's what it says. Thank you. There is a functional narrowing of the connection between the ureter and the kidney or less common conditions such as blood clot or tumor compressing the ureter. So is that what you would expect a student to come back to you with? Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, no, that was right. I mean, basically, I was describing someone. I specifically said a 25-year-old because if I said like a 55-year-old then or 65-year-old, then cancer could very well be hmm. like 
very high up on the list of possibilities. And but it didn't. It's only yeah. It did not come back with that at all. Right. Well, it did say malignancy. I think is a possibility. I think it did say that somewhere. Didn't you say that tumor or blood clot? I think it did you say said. blood clot. Yeah. Or 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 tumor compressing the ureter. Tumor compressing the ureter. So you know, it would be very highly unlikely for a 25 year old to have a tumor compressing their ureter. Um, and to have a normal, the key to the description I gave uh, JT earlier was that the ureter, which again is the tube that connects the kidney to the bladder, the entire course of that ureter, was normal in caliber. So we've talked on this show, like what happens when the entire ureter and the kidney are distended with urine and swelled up? What, what could that be due to? Um, and usually, if it's on both sides, it would suggest that like something in the bladder is blocking, and now your whole system on both sides is distended, and um, and that's that would be a totally different scenario. In this case, the caliber of the ureter was normal, so that means that whatever is blocking that kidney is right at the junction of where the oh. ureter joins the kidney, and that's called the ureteropelvic junction. And that's why it was great that it actually said that. It said ureteropelvic junction. That's that's what I kind of described. I said hydronephrosis with a normal caliber ureter, by definition, is going to be a, a, some type of obstruction at the junction of the ureteropelvic uh, and, location. And was there some follow-up you said you wanted to ask? Um, to oh, well, I said to you, I said, well... Um, not follow up, but because it, it, what it was really trying to do is what we do in medicine, which is called a differential diagnosis. This is a real common expression that doctors will use, which is simply a way of saying, what are the list of possibilities in order of most likely to least mm -hmm. likely, right? And one, and, and the more information you get, the shorter the list is and the more, hmm. you know, sort of prominent would be the number one thing because you're more certain about the diagnosis. Of course, a differential diagnosis is not a diagnosis. It's a list of possibilities. And you can't always, you know, you can, you can get closer and closer to the, to the truth. But um, when you really want to get to the truth, there are certain criteria to be the truth. In other words, like in this case, you could make a radiologic diagnosis and be and base your truth on the radiologic appearance of that UP, ureteropelvic junction obstruction or UPJ obstruction. But um, some people would argue that you actually should have pathology where they actually remove that segment that's obstructed, look under the microscope and say, oh yeah, these are the classic features under a microscope. Right. Because that someone might say, well, that's not really a ureteropelvic junction obstruction. It could be due to other reasons. Well, I did ask it just now as you're talking, what are the what are the reasons from most likely to least likely? And it came back and it said the, the UPJ is the most likely. Then right. a renal stone. This is, again, in descending That's order. That's true. It could be a renal stone. Possible cause of the left flank pain in the hydronephrosis could be a renal stone. So the reason I wanted to do this little exercise yeah. is, you know, it's a lot of people are using it for lots of different things. So in the medical community, and I'm not suggesting that you would know the answer to this, but I think it's an interesting future for people instead of going to WebMD and typing lots of symptoms and then sifting through lots of results, some of which are maybe less credible than others, it becomes like a place you ask your questions, you say what you've got, and of course it's going to lead to likely even more confusion and, and consternation in, in patients, but... Um, it's a little, you know, it's one of those mixed bags. I almost bags. wonder if doctors will use it. It's a mixed bag, right? I'm sure they will. It's a mixed bag because like 
we have now, and maybe it'll happen to a less, lesser degree, but like we have now, people, of course, they go online and they try to you know, reach out to Dr. Google, as they call it, <laughs> and they find out all kinds of things about what they could have. And, what, and people will often, not infrequently, they'll come into my office and they'll wave the paper and say, I know what I have. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And they won't even let me do any tests. I've had people do that. Like I'm like, well, we really should do a bladder scan to see how. What? No, no, no. I already know what I have, so I want to. I need. I just need a prescription for antibiotics. And I go, well, we haven't even done a urinalysis. I've. I already know what my diagnosis is. And I'm like, okay, I'm not comfortable doing that right. because I need to feel confident. I was hoping that's what you were going to say. That's what I say. I figured. How but many then, people are actually right? It's, it's some people well, are right, you know, to, but it to, doesn't to matter. To coin the phrase, uh, you know, a clock is right twice, twice a day. It's like <laughs> just because they're right doesn't mean it's the right thing to the right thing to do. Yeah. And then, of course, I've had some people. That's a broken clock. <laughs> I've had yeah, some you. people. <laughs> You're right. I've had some people come in and they knew what their diagnosis. They said, I've had this for the last year and I've been dealing with it. And I finally, you know, need to like, you know, get a prescription or something. And then I take a look at them and I realize, actually, that's not what you have. You have like now you have metastatic prostate cancer. And I've actually had that happen more than once where mm. someone thought they knew what they had and they really were certain of it. And now because they didn't come in when they first started having issues, they now have prostate cancer that has spread and there's no way that they can be cured. Well, so I mean, on, I, on, I, on that I, high note, but here's yeah. the question. I, I'm I going think at. it'll it, be a percentage thing, though, whereas like what I'm saying is it probably happens like, I don't know a pretty rare amount of times it's going to where someone's completely misdiagnosed themselves to the point that they're going to now put themselves in serious, you know, uh, risk of mortality. I think that is going to happen less because this is going to get more accurate. But, but, but the, so looking further down the road, is this a potential doctor replacement? Is this a tool that a nurse practitioner can start using? So it, it, it can potentially put your, profession in jeopardy well all all informational uh jobs are at jeopardy with this of course i mean there's no question that it will probably change the dynamics of the practice of medicine um in the long run um in the same way that i think you know look right now what happened how did we respond to chronic doctor shortages in the last 25 years because there have been chronic doctor shortages how did we do like have we responded P pas pas nurse practitioners all of that right so like you know and then of course that's also how we responded to the cost of medicine so mm -hmm. they they instead of you know it's like a surgery center now used to have like a staff of six anesthesiologists to do colonoscopies and all kinds of outpatient procedures. Now, on average, you know how many anesthesiologists those surgery centers have? Maybe one a Wait, day. Overseeing nurse anesthetists. Right. And then you it's also have... And you, they can do the same. Right. And then you, there's also these twilight sleeps where you don't need the anesthesiologist. Correct. 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 So they do all kinds of things like that. And this is just going to be another way. And yeah. you could argue, you know, that that's so terrible. But, you know, well, I, to GB's point, it it's a, I look at it as a tool that people will use. It'll get much, much, much more powerful. You'll be able to input the CT scans, input the radiological uh, results, and get a second opinion, perhaps, on what it thinks it is versus right. what your doctor thinks it is. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I've been using it to help with my interpersonal relationships. <laughs> How's that mm -hmm. going for you? <laughs> Is that working out? I've learned a lot about JT. Oh, okay. Okay, you learned something. You know what? Actually, I'll tell you what I think as you're talking. I was kind of thinking in my own mind. It actually, I mean, 
in some ways it could make my job more gratifying because you have to realize that like, I don't know, 80% of the stuff I see is like very rote. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm seeing like, you know, somebody comes in, their doctor referred them because they have some small amount of, you know, little microscopic blood in their urine. 90% of those workups for microscopic blood in the urine are negative. And there's lots of reasons why someone has developed some microscopic blood, but the vast majority of them are benign, meaning there, there's yeah. no serious condition that needs to be treated, but I have to do all the tests and the whole workup. And you could argue that with you know, something like artificial intelligence, it's going to start weeding out a lot of that, unnecessary trips to doctors, and that I'm going to get more and more people where artificial intelligence will you know, potentially reach a ceiling where it just, you know, you have to do various things and it's just going to get more complicated and those are the things I'm going to have yeah. to take care of. I, I certainly don't look at it as removing doctors. I think of it maybe as being gratifying in that a lot of what you're doing, I don't want to call it guesswork, but you're making your most, most educated guess before you mm -hmm. start operating, especially if it's an operation. Right. Um, and this would maybe just confirm, like, yeah, in all likelihood... That's a really good point. I mean, that's a whole. Right that's path. another. That's another point, and that is true. So I think it, it could have a lot of positives. I do. I'm not uh, against it. It's very early stages, but I thought it was an interesting little test. Yeah, yeah, I like it. So thanks for, uh, thanks for going down that road. Absolutely. So you had uh, a topic in a case you wanted to take us through. Which yeah, I mean, I'll try to be some a little brief because I think we're already you know 20 minutes into this um, okay. into our show. But I'll I'll, I'll sort of start out by saying that. You know, um, so a really common thing I will see, um, and it's somewhat mundane in the urology practice world. I mean, these aren't like typically types of things that we see that you're like, oh, wow, this is really fascinating. But it's super common, which is that a woman will come in. It's almost always women. I would say 90%. And they'll say, my, my doctor wanted me to see you because um, I've had six urinary uh, tract infections in the last year. Year. Okay. Um, or she might even say, I, I get a lot of urinary tract infections. And, and the first thing you want to ask is how many have you had in the last year? Um, because that really quantifies it in terms of what we could really consider as, you know, recurrent UTI or urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm. I did have one male buddy, not that we all share our, he, our stories. He got it. He got it. But I've, no one else has anecdotally told me. That's only it happens with men, and um, it does. And Not that it comes right. up over dinner. So here's <laughs> the thing. When a woman gets a single urinary tract infection, we don't, as urologists, make anything of that. We just say, okay, sure. you had one urinary tract infection. Um, and why do urinary tract infections happen more in women than men? There's one major reason. Go ahead, GB. You seem to know. I was just going to say, Go for you it. know, fecal matter from. Well, but sex. men, you're right. Although men have fecal matter that's in their pelvis, uh, they might have wiped and left some down there. I'm just the fecal matter. Wiping? I just think the vaginal opening is susceptible to. So the vaginal opening is there, but the the real issue is the length of the urethra. Oh, okay, that's so the so real short. issue, and the fact that yes, in men because they have a penis, obviously their opening to that tract to that system is sort of further out from the body. But the major issue in, in women is that the urethra is literally like less than an inch long. And in men, of course, that's not the case. Even if he has a small penis, there's a whole bunch of urethra on the inside of his body. So he's got a lot of length. So, so the, the urine cleans out the men's urethra? 
and when, when it's, it's longer? More, it's more that bacteria... It's let's less say, of a trip to go. Right. Like, let's say here, let's say that you've got a, uh, you know, a very small, short penis, oh, right? I so let's see. say I the urethra... Hypothetically, hypothetically okay, so GD, you're saying... Not you. <laughs> but let's say, you're, you're, let's say your penis... You let's here. say your <laughs> penis sticks out of your body just like one inch. That would be a bummer, but let's say it does. It happens. And then it, would it be possible that some bacteria could get to the opening? But I just told you that there's yeah, a the lot of length on these. On the, so, so he gets bacteria in there, and within three or four hours, what does he do? He pees. And it washes out. Got it. But a woman has a little, it gets into the bladder. Got right, it. right. Got it, got it, so, but if a woman just gets one UTI, we don't typically do a full evaluation. So we usually have criteria and different organizations and, and bodies like the American Urologic Association and Infectious Disease Society and all that stuff, they all have different criteria. But generally, um, you know, some people would say anything more than three. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm more strict about it. Like I want to hear that someone's had like, you know, four or five in a year. Um, Any but more believe me, I have some, I have some women that come in and say, I've had one every month for the last like year or two years. Um, and what's okay. the problem about this? Not just the fact that she keeps getting the antibiotics that she has right. to be on, right? And and so what is it? Does it? And why burn? is it a problem? Does to it be burn treated? when you pee? What what, what exactly? They, they have the all those symptoms, and right? It hurts, right? Yeah. Right. What do you? What's the problem about well, being? the antibiotics on so many? are gonna um, eventually. Your body's gonna become less and less. Um, so uh, it's actually not, it's not, not the respond. body. It's not the body. Well, well okay, you're right. The, it's the bacteria. Whatever's yeah, it causing kills it. All the it's good the bacteria. bacteria. It kills the ones that are most susceptible to antibiotics, yeah. right. and it allows the ones that are very resistant to antibiotics to flourish. Right. And so now you have bacteria that's affecting you that only that that are resistant to almost all the antibiotics, and sometimes are truly resistant to like everything except like the most very you know expensive and and, and sophisticated intravenous forms of antibiotics, and that's a Big so, problem. so I don't want to cut to the end, but I'm assuming that someone that really has a very chronic issue with this, right, right, it, it could lead to some pretty serious. So I, I will no try to I'll try to brush over this quickly. When we when we get someone like that, we first want to ask her, in this case, a woman. If it's a man, by the way, we immediately do what's called an anatomical workup. Basically, we're looking for maybe it's from his enlarged prostate. Maybe he's got a tumor in his bladder that that is holding on to a lot of bacteria and mm. constantly shedding it. But in men, if they just even get one UTI, we typically do a full workup because it's there's just no good explanation why a man would get a urinary tract infection other than a real anatomical problem. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. In a woman, because it's common, we don't do it unless she's had a, like more than she should have them. And then does everybody understand why there was something you brought up earlier? I am kind of digressing a little bit. Why do women get UTIs um, due to sex? Some do and some don't. I would say about only about 25%, 20% of the women that come into me will tell me, oh, yeah, it always happens like within a few days after I have sex. Well, there's just other The majority variables. of them don't, by the way. The majority of them don't relate to sex. Really? But about 20% of them do. So why would that be? I, I would just assume that there's variables from the partner that are being introduced. Okay, give me an example. Uh, I don't know, just something on the partner's hands or parts that... Okay. Uh, GB, any thoughts? Shouldn't be there. That are caught, you know, 
could cause an infection. Okay, so I'm going to just, I'll just say real quick that um, if a man had something on his penis and he infected a woman with that something, by definition, what do we call that? STD? Correct. Or STI in the current lingo. We call it a sexually transmissible infection. You know why they, they got rid of it? You know why? Anymore? You know why? Because it's, it's not a disease. It's just an infection. It, 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 was, too, like, it, it, it was too offensive, basically. Too offensive. <laughs> People said, like, well, you're calling this a disease? So, so urology is, become, a, is a woke profession? It's become like that in all branches of medicine. When, when people call things disease, it's got such a negative connotation. So how do, what's venereal disease? So is that what... It's a sexually... It's an STI, a sexually right. transmissible infection. But that's what it used to be infection. called, right? Right, they changed it. So, so what, what does venereal mean? Because you're a Latin expert. I, I don't remember. Did everyone with gonorrhea... Be Form a union and decided yeah. that this terminology was no longer. So that's perfect. exactly so, so, what happened. All right. So here's the question. Yeah, we're offended. So here's the question. But I've wait, got. I want to answer this first. Okay. The, I want to go to if, that march. If you get, <laughs> if you get, a man gives a woman an infection of any kind. It you just said it. It's a sexually transmissible infection. An STI is a specific infection that is literally transmitted from the man to the woman, and we and it's a fairly finite list. Like gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, HIV, things like that. But like an E. coli UTI is not sexually transmissible. So he is not giving it to her. Even if he has E. coli on his skin, technically he's not giving it to her in the truest sense of what a UTI is. He might transfer some of his E. coli into her vagina, but we don't consider it as an STI. And but are you considering that a cause? No. Okay. So the cause of, of, I can only tell you what's in the literature and what's been described and proven, which is that all UTIs in women that are related to sexual activity occur because the bacteria were in her vagina and have accessed the urinary tract and certainly sexual activity, having sex, a mm-hmm. penis going frankly, to be specific, back and forth in the vagina is going to drive some of that bacteria mm-hmm. that's in the vagina up through the urethra and so, into the bladder. So that's the mechanism so of there, sexually um, related. It was there already. So, so here's, correct. The, here's the question correct. that I have. In, in, in the world before antibiotics, and if, if you had this condition, what happens? Do you... Die from this, or it's just painful. It's just you, a quality you of could, life issue. You could, you could. What I exactly mean, is it? Some people would have like chronic infections. It would be painful. It would really disrupt their life. And of course, there were lots of, you know, um, holistic ways. You know that people in prior to antibiotics would through diet or what have you, they would figure like out... Like in medieval times, you know... I, I what, what, I'm not an expert on the history of of, of, <laughs> of UTIs of medicine, but there were like concoctions that people would come up with. Obviously, we know, like, for example, cranberry juice can help, but it's not really truly a a curative manner of getting rid of a UTI, but they would use ways to either reduce the symptoms, get rid of the symptoms, but they wouldn't necessarily get rid of the infection. And to answer your question, yes, people can die because once that bladder infection starts to get into the bloodstream, now you're septic. We've used that term on this show before. So now you've gotten sepsis from the UTI and you'll you'll probably die. So yes, there were probably tons of deaths from, it's just another type of infectious disease. And infectious disease was probably one of the top causes of human mortality before 
um, the advent of antibiotics. So yes, you so, would die. All right. So you see a patient coming in who's had this six times in the last year yep. or maybe even more potentially. Yep. yep. And you do a workup. So you decide that, to do a workup. At this point, you need to. <clears throat> you, you, so I will say <clears throat> the majority of the time, we'll first try to see if it's related to sexual activity. And sometimes we can give them suggestions to, you know, in terms of like, how are you having sex? Because it turns out that different positions might help in terms of your propensity to get these UTIs or being able to avoid them. So position can sometimes help. And sometimes it's trial and error. Like I'll say, you know, do you usually, you know, is, are you usually on top or is he on top? And she says like, oh, I'm always on top. And, and you I'm have like, a nurse in the room when you're having these questions, uh, I take it. Yeah. Well, you know, you can have these questions technically, at least in the modern guidelines and not be crossing any, um, you know, sort right. of, yeah, it's only when you're doing like an examination, you absolutely have to have a female nurse. But anyway, so you ask them to switch back and forth and, um, and you'll ask some other things about behaviors and habits. How do you wipe when you go to the bathroom? Do you urinate right before you sex? Why do you urinate right before you have, or right after you have sex? Evacuates that area with cleans out the urethra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Basically, you have sex. Theoretically, you may have introduced some bacteria into the bladder. You're going to empty out the bladder, get rid of that bacteria. Is that okay? actually like that, soon enough? I mean, it's not. Yeah, it hasn't already traveled. It it yes and no. In some people, it's soon enough. In some people, it's not. Mm -hmm. They know from from studies that the in the cells in the lining of the bladder in women that have recurrent infections, those surface of those cells have receptors that bind a bacteria more tightly. Hmm. And that's why some people are genetically predisposed to having this. And it comes, it typically runs in families. Any preventative medicine that when you talk about... Well, so what we'll do is if we know someone, for example, is always getting them from UTIs, yeah. we'll give them a very low dose antibiotic to take at the time of sexual activity. And oh, it almost always works. Oral? Uh-huh. And it almost always works. Well, that's not really... And we choose an antibiotic that has a very low propensity to result in resistant bacteria. Do you also recommend, um, you know, showering and stuff beforehand? Does that help No, because that doesn't really help. How much, help how, much, uh, how much time beforehand does that... Uh, usually we'll tell them that even if you take it like, you know, a half hour or even 15 minutes before, it's, it's going to help. It's going to help. Yeah, because it's a small inoculum. What does that word mean? It means the amount of bacteria that's in the bladder. And, bl and bacteria replicate quickly, but you know not that quickly. So for example, if you had sex and you had a small inoculum of bacteria in the bladder and you took that antibiotic right before you had sex or even right after you had sex, within 30 minutes, that antibiotic is going to filter into your urine and that small inoculum hasn't had time to the, replicate enough for that tiny dose of antibiotics to get rid so of it. So does age has nothing to do with any of this? Age does have something to do with so this. Not in the sexual, not so much in the sexual activity department, um, but much more so in the sense that women's vaginas change as they get older and particularly after menopause, the vagina mm. changes drastically. It get the, the, all the defensive mechanisms change with their hormonal so, changes. So, so you're more susceptible. So they go through menopause after menopause, and the whole like what we we use this term milieu, which is really just the I know it's funny how these terms come out, but but that term sort of specifies like what's the hormonal content, the the acid the acidity of the vagina, like all these properties of the postmenopausal woman 
her in the vagina, it changes drastically. Mm. And so she has all sorts of potential issues related to those changes, of which recurrent UTIs is one. Hmm. So I will briefly uh, describe a situation where it was an anatomical problem. Okay. So we, we, we know that, that emptying the bladder is an important defense against recurrent urinary infections, right? you got to empty your bladder. J- just in general terms. In general. Okay. If, if someone chronically doesn't empty their bladder well, a man or a woman, so in a man it's because of this prostate, right? Or something else. We could come up with other reasons. Got scar tissue in the urethra, or the bladder muscle's not working. If a man doesn't empty his bladder well, he's very much at risk for recurrent infections. It's one of the reasons. Okay. We know that emptying the bladder is important. So one of the things we're doing with the workup in women is: is she emptying her bladder well? We want to know that. And one reason, and and so we'll do like a uh, ultrasound. The, oh, the, isn't there a P test too? Well, there's no pee test from the standpoint of analyzing the urine. No, 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 but like uh, pressure. There's a urodynamics test. You're right. Yeah. That will tell you if she's emptying. But that will give you more of a reason why she's... But the man can do, do that too. He I can. Thought. He can. But that test is more helpful to diagnosing why she's he or she isn't emptying right. rather than establishing that she's not and he or she is the quickest and simplest and least invasive way to know if someone isn't emptying well is just doing an ultrasound after they pee. And if what will that show? Right, if there's well, fluid if left. If there's any fluid left. If there's urine left. And it's got to be a lot. It can't be like there's an ounce left or two mm-hmm. ounces left. But if she has like 10 ounces left or 15 ounces left, it's a, it could be an issue, right? So we do that, and that's part of the workup. And then we say, hey, you're retaining a lot of urine, right? And then we want to figure out why. And give me like two reasons why she might not be emptying her bladder. Uh, we've had, we've, we've talked, talked about, about things like this, yeah. Yes. I'll let you take this one, GB, since <laughs> I don't want to steal all your thunder. Go for it, GB. <laughs> no, because I'll be wrong. Is it, well, if there's a small blockage, sometimes. a blockage is one reason. Okay. Does she have a prostate? No, no but so it could that's be the bladder really. hanging. Didn't we talk about that before? It like distends. Is that is that the word? So I actually forgot that we went over this, but you're right. I think what you're leading to is one possibility, which I'll get into in more detail in a minute. What also another possibility is what we call a functional blockage, which means it's really not blocked, but the bladder has a functional problem. And what would that functional problem be? The muscle. And what isn't it doing? Contracting. It's not contracting. So then if, if it doesn't contract, the urine won't just, fu- it doesn't fall out of our bodies. It's got to be pushed out by right. the bladder, right? Okay, so you're right, GB. That was kind of skipping ahead, but that is correct, that some women have a situation. If you think of the bladder in a woman, the way it sits, it's like a balloon, right? And the urethra Yeah, it's is, that whole euro lift, right? Well, no, that's that's, that's a man. We use you should have quit while you were ahead on that one. <laughs> but you're you're, but you're you on the right you're, idea. No, but you can lift that lift up. Lift the bladder. Yeah. Correct. A bladder yeah, the lift. Your lift goes right. inside. That's those yeah. are the implants for yeah. prostate. Yeah. yeah. But the bladder <laughs> is like a balloon in a woman, and it's and it's got the neck of the balloon is and the and the part that you blow in is and is sort of like the urethra, right? Okay. Okay. And it's and think of the balloon sort of lying. You know, having like in, in a woman, if you look at a woman from the side, invisible woman from mm-hmm. the side, her <laughs> bladder is actually the balloon. It's not quite lying on its side, but it's not straight up. 
it's basically kind of at a 45 degree angle. Okay. So, so if it gets you, if it gets low. So what happens is the balloon starts to drop down, yeah. but the stem of the balloon, the urethra, right. stays fixed, doesn't move. So what happens to that junction between the balloon and the stem of the urethra? You call the plumber. It gets blocked, right? It kinks. It kinks. Hmm. And, does, and so the name of that that condition where the balloon, what do you think the woman might also describe when pain pain maybe i think the color where so here's a tough question do you know where that where that bladder is relative to the vagina think of a yeah oh isn't it near i'm going to give you the I'm, colon i'm going to give you i'm going to give you a multiple choice per yeah, question okay. <laughs> it's GPS. either i need google maps think of this. the vagina as an inverted tube i always do okay <laughs> <laughs> and i'm going to say that and and is the rectum on top uh, in front of the vagina, sort of between the vagina and your skin? Is it in the behind the vagina? It's, it's behind it. Right. So the rectum is behind the vagina. Is the bladder at the top of the vagina, or is it? Uh, I'm sorry, at the end of the inverted tube, sort of at the dead end of the inverted tube, or is it lying on top of the inverted tube, opposite to the rectum? Which is it? Do you see what I'm trying to describe? I don't know. You said vagina a lot. I okay. lost track. Yeah. This, is called the, the this is called the Dr. Hymanic <laughs> method. Think of the vagina. Let's start over. Think of the vagina uh, as an invert, like a sock, an inverted, like a sock, right? And you got the end of the sock. Yeah, no, I got that. I just don't know. And the bl- on the, the between the, the vagina and the tailbone is your, and, and the spine is your rectum. Mm-hmm. And then at the dead end of the sock, at the top of that, well, think about it. When you have sex, what do you think at the at the beyond the? It's really not a dead end because there's a little opening there. What is that opening called? At the very end of the dead end, what is that opening called? Called the cervix. Cervix, yeah. So when you have semen come out, where is that semen going into? It goes through the cervix and then into what? Like the fallopian tubes. The, ur- the, the, uterus, the uterus, and then eventually into the fallopian okay. tubes. Yes. So the uterus is on top of that of the vagina, right at the end of the of the of the blind of the um, sock, right? So we have the rectum on one side, the uterus at the end, at the beyond the the dead end, if you will, and then what's on the top of the vagina between the vagina and your belly? It must be the bladder. The bladder, right? So the bladder is in what we call an anterior location on top of the vagina, between the vagina and the skin, if, uh, the belly, and when that bladder starts to come down and form that kinking what happens to the vagina if the bladder starts to come down what do you think the vagina looks like get compressed it gets a little compressed and and what you can actually see is it will start to invert evert so you literally see the vagina getting pushed out of the body backwards so what will often happen is in, in its most severe form in its most severe form, the woman will say, yeah, I feel this bulge between my legs. This mm-hmm. is one of the most uncomfortable episodes. <laughs> yeah. I, the whole thing. Well, you're a man. Imagine a woman listening to this. You're you're not the one who's having this I'm, happen to you. I it's a woman. You can I'm, imagine I'm, as a woman's listening to this, she's like reaching down there and like, oh, I, do I, I have, have a bulge? I have a lot of empathy. Okay, and good. I'm uncomfortable. So, good. so, so getting back to the UTI. Some women will literally see like almost like this pink... Um, yeah this pink structure kind of bulging out of the opening of her vagina. And sometimes it can come all the way out. So it looks like you've got this pink grapefruit 
Well, I coming out of your vagina. Uh, I would not need and chat that's GPT your for that. I I would, I that's would your take, bladder. I can't take this I would anymore. just call the That's doctor. your bladder. That yeah. That's okay. that's a woman's so, bladder. All right. but, but the and woman when it's there. completely averted like that, and the urethral opening is all the way up in the vagina, it's literally like making a U-turn, right? Yeah. You, you go into the opening, into the tube, and then you have to turn around, make a 180 to get to where all the right. bladder is, which is sticking outside of the body. But this doesn't body. seem like a big mystery. If someone's having a lot of UTIs, then... I mean, for this reason, you mean? Yeah, because she would come in saying this. Yeah. But sometimes it's not so symptomatic. Sometimes she'll say, "I don't really feel a bulge." Maybe every now you have to ask them. You have to elicit the symptoms because they don't make that connection. Yeah, that like, oh yeah, I've had this little bulge in there for like seven or eight yeah. years, ten years. But then you start doing tests and you find out that that bulge is actually the reason why she's gradually retaining mm. more and more urine and why she's getting recurrent infections. So that bulge, that, I mean, that condition where the bladder comes down is called a cystocele. Cysto is the bladder. And I forget what the, the seal, C-E-L-E, or in British uh, uh, spelling is C-O-E-L-E. I forget exactly what the meaning of that is. But a cystocele, I think it, I think it might just mean like a, a fluid containment, but I'm not sure. It, the cystocele is where the bladder starts to bulge out through the you can have other types you could have a an um a recto seal so instead of the bladder bulging out through the vagina the rectum could protrude push the bladder out hmm. and then she could complain of constipation so that must there must be other reasons why though someone would have a yeah i'm giving you one possible UTIs. i'm yeah. giving you one possible anatomical reason for recurrent utis in I a woman see. there's lots of anatomical reasons huh. i gave you one wow I vote for not having that one. So, all right. Well, that's, you know, it's good to know. It's good to know. It's another reason. Says to, who? It's, <laughs> it's interesting, though. You know, our show tends to be much more uh, leaning towards, you know, male conditions or unisex conditions like kidney stones. We don't spend a lot of time talking about, you know, female urology, but it's an entire board certified field within urology you can get boarded specifically in female urology and urologists will sometimes specialize in just these conditions that affect women of which there are you know tons yeah i'm sure and and in this case chronic utis are, can be very debilitating right right and for lots of reasons correct just ask dr down below on her <laughs> next episode there you go <laughs> and we're giving them a lot of uh you know, I'm surprised, GB, you're not saying something about this. Like, well, shouldn't we be getting some kind of... Yeah, uh, our, our global listenership of 124. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's a little more than that, but we'll, we'll have our lawyers look into uh, the trademarks. Yeah. All right, Doc. Well, thanks. GB, as always. Yeah, thank pleasure. You. Good seeing you guys. Hope you guys right. have a good week. Next time. Thanks.